It is indeed a special day. For one thing, we started right on time, and we got through that initial material very quickly, and that's because we have a lot to do today. Having spent months, even years, working, planning, and dreaming, and after countless hours in prayer, our leadership is this morning affirming a direction for our church to which we think God has led us. For the last couple of years, our leadership has been responding to God's direction through the Holy Spirit, trying to see what God wants us to get accomplished in his kingdom. And this morning, we will be sharing it with you. Unanimously, our elders and staff, along with numerous ministry leaders, have chosen to go in a particular direction as a church to emphasize certain elements of our ministry, much of which is not necessarily new, but which is receiving, certainly, a new emphasis. And I need to tell you that I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. I'm as excited about it as I've ever been at any time in any church of which I've ever been a part. From my perspective, our potential as a congregation is limitless. And there's two reasons for that. One is because I believe with all my heart that God is behind what we're doing. And if God is behind what we're doing, then because his potential is limitless, so is our own. And then secondly, I'm thrilled, I'm excited, because our leadership is unanimously committed to the things that you're going to hear about today. We've been talking about these things for a long, long time. And I think that God is going to bless us richly. I think he unfolds for us today, in many ways, a new day. So we're talking this morning about our church and its future. Our leaders cast a vision. And we're wondering how we can best fulfill our mission to be the body of Christ. Jack Mooney is going to share some things here right at the beginning, kind of introduce things, talk some about our mission and vision. Bud is going to talk about our values, what we believe. I'm going to do some things with intentional discipleship. John Cogman is going to talk about life group renewal, and then you'll hear from our elders as well. And so right now, Jack Mooney. Thank you. I, I should comment, by the way, that David Lidbury is not feeling well. In fact, we need to be uh, praying for David. He's not here this morning. I know he would love to be. Well, good morning. We have some visitors this morning. I, uh, Reese and Rachel, we welcome home. We we missed you. Indeed. Reese and Rachel are members here. They moved to Winkler, Manitoba, and they're here today. Good to see you. And we're happy that they are. <clears throat> so this this morning, as Kelly said, we're going to share with you some information uh, outlining a renewed direction that, that we as leaders have been working on for the past three years. But, but before we, uh, we share with you what we, where we intend to lead you, I'd like to share some of my memories of where this congregation has been. This, this church, this congregation of the Lord's Church, has over a 100-year history. This, this congregation was, was began or be, was started in, in 1906. That's a success story in itself. We had a 100-year celebration in 2006 at 100 for, for uh, just celebrating that, and we're now 104 years old, and, and that, is, that is to be celebrated. 
over that 104 years, this church has had some wonderful times. We've had some, um, some great people, and uh, we've had some great leaders. So let's just take a little walk down, down memory lane. Now, this is my memory. My memory is not infallible, so I could be wrong on some stuff. Most of you weren't here back in the, in the 70s and the 80s, uh, so, so you won't be able to call me on it. But if you were here, you can catch me later and say, you know, uh, you were wrong about that. So I, I joined this congregation in 1973 as a recent graduate of high school. That's a long time ago. I went to high school in Western Christian College. I came here in 1973 to visit my sister. And I only came out for a visit. And my sister's here today. Gail Pollock is, uh, Gail and Steve are the parents of Darcy and, and Darren Pollock, who are members of this congregation. And surprisingly, this congregation wasn't here. It was down at 38th Street, over 2860 38th Street Southwest. Gail and Steve live just up here on Marbank Drive, 4646 Marbank Drive. This mall across the street, Marlboro Mall, I said I came here as a graduate of high school. I went over there and bought engagement rings in that mall at that people's jewelers, and I went home in 1973 and proposed to Judy. So that's how long ago this was. Well, when I came here in 1973, Daryl and Diane Bean were, were, were newlyweds, and uh, they lived in, North, in northwest Cal- Calgary in Huntington Hills, I believe, and... Um, they didn't have any children at that time. They, they had one responsibility, and that was a shaggy dog named Mr. Hito. And, and Daryl and Diane aren't here this morning, but I'm sure they, they could tell you stories about the 1970s and Mr. Hito. Brian Moriarty, who's here this morning, was just uh, still recovering from a, a very serious automobile accident. Marshall and Margaret here. Marshall's here. Marshall was the treasurer of the church. And um, he and Margaret struck me at that time as just being incredible examples of a Christian family and, and just displaying such incredible Christian hospitality. And we, we thank you, Marshall, for that. Wayne and Joyce Holmgren aren't here today, but, but Wayne and Joyce had just moved here from Estevan, Saskatchewan. And they had two little blonde-haired girls, Jody and Julie. This is before Jeff and Jason. Wayne was just a dynamic song leader, and still is. And, uh, and he was a, an actual di- a dynamic church leader, for that matter. We used to get together as a congregation and sing. And it wasn't unusual for us as a group of, of Christians to get together and go to Wayne and Joyce's home and uh, spend an evening singing and sing and sing and sing. And just what incredibly beautiful music that was to uh, to, to sing God's praises and, and, uh, and share as, as, a, as a group of, of Christians. David Bailey was an eligible bachelor when I came in 1973. I remember David's mother, Ruth. Some of you will remember, and some of you actually went to this, this class. Ruth taught cradle roll at the top of the stairs, when you came into the 38th Street building and you came up, up the stairs, there was cradle roll. And Ruth, Ruth taught that cradle roll for years and years and years. She taught our kids. She taught some of you. And if I'm not mistaken, Margaret taught the toddlers downstairs. The elders at that time were, uh, I remember them, Wilford Bailey, David Bailey's father. Wilford was a small man with a, with a huge heart, with a servant's heart. Wilford impressed me, and as did Ruth, with just such incredible, incredible Bible knowledge. 
Another elder was Mervyn Buckingham. Mervyn Buckingham is, is Carol Ason's father, Steve Ason's grandfather. Now, Merv was a big man, and he had kind of reddish blonde, curly hair. I remember curling with Merv one time down at the Big Four building on the Stampede Grounds. Merv was a skip because he was an elder. <laughs> and I was a lead because I was a kid. Well, you've, you've probably seen curling on TV. And Merv is, is skipping, and he's, he's, um, he's yelling, he's yelling, sweep, sweep. And on his second sweep, his false teeth popped out of his mouth <laughs> and went shooting down the ice. What incredible memories. Norman Homgren, Wayne Homgren's dad, uh, Raymond Homgren's dad, and, and, and uh, Randy Tyson's dad, was, uh, was an elder then as well. And Norman, Norman's still alive, but Norman was such a gentle man, such a, an incredibly gentle man, with such an incredibly beautiful, beautiful deep bass voice. Those men were our leaders at that time, and, and they helped to, to lead us to where we are today. I can remember how I admired though, and, I, and respected those men, and I, and I still do today. Well, as we went through the 70s, I'll just hit on some highlights. Um, Kevin and Patty Clark moved here as newlyweds from England, I think in 1975. Wayne and Darlene McKaig moved here. Well, they were pretty much newlyweds as well. They moved here from Regina, Saskatchewan. We had a bunch of young families, and and um, and we were we were popping out babies like crazy. Not. <laughs> Not really un, dis, unlike what we're doing, what we, we're experiencing right now. Except that the, the babies of this walk down memory lane, the babies of the 1973s are, are the parents today in this congregation. Uh, Jason and Leanne had a, had a, a baby last, last week. Jason was, was a, a child of the 70s. We've, we've kind of come full circle, and where we were, I was a child. Now I'm a grandfather, and where my children were babies, now they're parents. There was some exciting stuff going on in the church in, in North America. There was a program going on in the United States, and it was, it was starting to develop, and it was called the Joy Bus Ministry. So a bunch of us young families got together, and we took a road trip to Bozeman, Montana, to research what, what they were doing with the bus ministry and what try to learn from their, their successes. We also took a longer road trip as a, as a group of Christians, and we went to the Tulsa workshop in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to try to learn from, um, from that workshop how we could better improve our skills in reaching out to the children and the families of, of uh, southwest Calgary around our, our church down in, on 38th Street Southwest. We bought... Uh, Retired school bus. It was an old uh, cheese grater, they called them, but it was an old yellow school bus. But we cha- changed the color to a, a fairly light, creamy yellow, and we signed that thing school bus, or joy bus is what we signed it. And um, I drove the bus. And my wife, Judy, she stood in between the seats and she, as we were driving, and she, she taught the, the kids. And if you understand the program, we had Doug Cox would get together a group of young young men from the church. 
we would go through the neighborhood. We'd go to the door. Of, we'd arrange to pick kids up to bring them to, to youth worship. The kids would run out, bring the kids. They'd come and sit in the bus. We'd drive to the next stop to pick up kids, and we'd teach them, and we'd sing songs. And, and that was our, our, uh, to, our way of getting the children into the, into the church building. And then when we got to the building, Wayne McKegg and Dan Tullis and I think Dwayne Dixon would, uh, would teach the kids Sunday school. And Wayne became the guru of our youth worship. Now, some of you sat in those early days of Wayne's youth worship, and you can remember the exciting, we don't have to sit through church, we're going out to youth worship, and Mr. Wayne is going to lead us, and we are going to have fun. In 1980, there was another program that was, that was going on in, in, uh, in the church in North America, and it was called Campaigns for Christ. We had a campaign for Christ in Calgary in 1980. In, during that campaign, there were over 50 baptisms in the, the church in Calgary. And some of you, you'll remember some of the people that, uh, that were baptized. Um, Eric Tyson was, was brought to the Lord through the campaign for Christ. Eric's here today. Heather Drummond. Now, you might not know Heather Drummond. You probably know her as Heather Lim. Donna Holtgren, who is Cal Holtgren, and uh, Tassa and Janine and... Kara Hattrick, his mother, was brought to the, to the Lord in that campaign for Christ. Also, there was Charlie and, and Gladys Tomlinson and, and Gladys Balderson, who those, those folks were, were brought to the Lord and actually have graduated to be with their Lord now. Well, in 1983, Judy and I packed up our kids and we moved to the great wide open spaces of Regina, Saskatchewan, so I could continue my education. And we came back in 1989. So I'm not going to tell you a bunch about what happened between 83 and 89, except to say that when we returned in 1989, the church had been transformed. It was transformed from a small little group of 100 to 150 people meeting down on 38th Street Southwest to a much, much larger congregation that was meeting here on Maryville Drive. And while we were gone, uh, a homegrown young man named Bobby Harrington, who is Bill and Elsie Harrington's son, Bill and Elsie are, are members of this congregation, became the, uh, the lead minister of the, the 38th Street Church. Now, Bill, Bobby was, was, a, uh, he was a peculiar person because he had such an incredible, all-in-one package. There was a man with vision. There was a man with an incredible work ethic that some would even call driven. He had an ability to organize and he also had an ability to lead, and and he he was uh, he was a, an incredible leader for the for the church in the years of 1983 to 89. But when we got back, members of the 38th Street Church and some members from the Northside Church had gotten together and uh, bought this building and moved to this building. and And I'm not sure if it was before or after they got here, but they they got together and and they did an incredible amount of work. And they were looking to, um, to develop a mission statement for the congregation. And the mission statement that you see right up here and that you see on the screen is the mission statement that that, that church, those people in, in the late 1980s, developed. Now, I loved this mission statement ever since I was first introduced it when we came back in 1989. Well, well time goes on. 
And the newlyweds of the, of the 70s became the parents of teenagers and young adults in the 1990s. And many of the leaders of the 1970s uh, have graduated to be with, with our Lord. And then the nine, we, we go into the 1990s and, and we look at, at some of the history of the 1990s. Men, men who um, served as elders, leaders of this congregation in the 1990s, uh, you remember Cecil Bailey, um, Kevin Clark, Walter Hovind, uh, Richie Reed and Bill Rubel, and David Bailey all served as, as elders in the, over the years 89 through, uh, through 1990. Some of the, uh, the exciting things that happened were in, in the 1990s, we broke, and those of you who were here will remember, the 200 barrier. Uh, Bobby talked about, oh, the 200 barrier, we've got to break that 200 barrier. And we did. And one of the things that, that was instituted at that time, and, and we still enjoy today, is as the church grew and the intimacy and the knowledge of being able to know everybody in the church diminished, we, we, the, the leadership at that time saw the need for small groups or cell groups, they were called. And uh, people got together uh, in cell groups to minister to each other and to build relationship with each other. One of the sad things of, of that time, Bobby Harrington uh, left and, uh, and took up a, a challenge ministering to a church in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And Wayne, Wayne McKegg was still our guru of youth worship. After 20, 20 years, he was still the youth worship leader. Now, John Coughlin and John and Brenda moved to Calgary from, from Vancouver. Um, Gary Zorn, David Lidbury. Uh, and their wives, Gary and Barb, and David and Shirley moved here from Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Bud and Marlene moved here from uh, Regina. And then as the 1990s drew to a close, uh, Kevin uh, stepped down from the eldership. As we, as we came into uh, Y2K, year 2000, you remember the fear that we had of the computers, the world was going to come to an end because the computers couldn't recognize a four-digit year? So we, we were... The year 2000 was characterized by, uh, by fear, fear of the unknown. Um, as we come into the year 2000, Bill Rubel, Richie Reed retired from the eldership in the early 2000s. Marshall, after 40 years of being the treasurer, asked if it would be okay if he could just kind of slow down a little bit and maybe retire. What an incredible example of selfless service. And um, Marshall would be out counting this morning, but I, he's here. He wanted to, to listen to our, to our new direction. Marshall still helps after 50 years. Um, early in the year, in the, the, this millennium, new elders were appointed. Bud Ashby was asked to, to serve as an elder, as was John Coughlin and Gary Zorn. And Wayne McKegg joined the eldership, joined those three in the eldership in, uh, in the year 2003. In the year 2005, Journey Church was born. We planted a church in, in uh, southeast Calgary with about 75 of our close friends and, and uh, an actual church family to reach out to the people of, of southeast Calgary for the Lord. And it's a, a church plant that we participated with, with the Lord and a couple of other congregations here in Calgary. In 2006, as I mentioned earlier, we, had our, uh, we celebrated our 100th anniversary where a number of our of our friends and family and previous members of this church who had moved away came together to celebrate the Lord's work in this place. 
In 2006, new elders were appointed. John Casella, David Lidbury, and myself joined the eldership. And the predominant question for the elders, in, um, as I joined the eldership in 2006, was regarding the vision of the leadership for this congregation. What is the vision? There was a, a strong push for, uh, from some that our vision, our mission of this congregation would, would move to a, a social justice mission. <clears throat> so we began to, um, to look at, at, uh, at, the, at the vision. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 instructs us to, uh, to test everything. And so as we moved into to looking at the vision, we, um, we tested everything. We looked at our mission. And we asked these questions. What's the purpose of our existence as a church? And we looked at our vision. What do we believe our existence should look like? We looked at our values. What will we not compromise in fulfilling our mission? We looked at our goals. What do we need to do to achieve our mission? And we looked at our strategies. What steps will we take along the way to achieving our goals? Well, here's the mission statement that we've had, that we've worked with since the late 1980s. And I said earlier, and I repeat it now, I love this mission statement. I love the people who developed and adopted this mission statement. I mean, it captures our goal as Christians, doesn't it? I mean, to be like Jesus. Is there a more appropriate goal than to pattern our lives after our Lord and to aspire to be like him. But we had to ask the question, how well are we doing accomplishing this goal? We know that our success at being like Jesus depends on how we apply the teachings of Jesus to our personal lives. So we looked at each component of, of this statement to evaluate how well we'd done. How well have we are we doing at following the Bible? And you'll notice there's a little plus minus beside follow the Bible, and that, that just says it's an evaluation. But there are some things we're doing extremely well at following the Bible, and there, there are, as there always are, there's room for improvement. Well, how well, what do, we, how well do we follow the Bible? We believe, we believe that the Bible is, God, is the Word of God, that it's written by man through God's inspiration. We believe that it's authoritative for the church, the supreme source of Christian wisdom, and that through it, God has revealed himself. Well, I know and we know that this church has and that you as, as a Christ follower have a deep love for God and, and for his word. We're committed as leaders of this congregation to search the scriptures to determine God's will for us and for this for this church and for us as individuals. 
You know, historically, members of the Church of Christ have been noted for their, for their Bible knowledge, for their diligent Bible study, and for their dedication to God's Word. But we can do better. I can do better. And we, we must do better. When I look at myself, and um, when I look at myself and, and my diligence in Bible study and my Bible knowledge, my, it pales in comparison to, to my mentors in my youth, people, people that, like, uh, like Wilfred Bailey. So I don't know about you, but, but I, I need to do better, and I will do better. And so we renew our commitment to, to follow the Bible. How, how well are we doing in, in ministering to, to, to Christians? Jesus commanded us in John 13 and 34 to, uh, to love one another. And, and he said that, that all men will know that you are my disciples if we, if we love each other. Well, when this congregation was at 38th Street, and it was about 100 to 150 people, we pretty much knew everybody in the congregation, and we had, we had a more intimate relationship because we knew everybody, and there, was, there were fewer of us. We were able to love each other. We were able to minister to each other because we knew what was happening in each other's lives. We met together for group worship and Bible study at least three times a week. But today, we're a larger group. We're living in a much larger city, and it's spread across a, a, a great area. We've got, we've got members of this congregation from Airdrie, and from Cochrane, Okotoks, Strathmore. When I came here in, in the, the early years, the, the city ended at uh, 52nd Street, and, and it ended at 64th Avenue in the north, and Midnapore was a separate town. And, uh, and uh, it, it, nothing was on the hill. It was, it was a broadcast hill, and there was, there was no housing up there. Our city is spread out. We have way more people. And we live now in a culture of busyness. And yet we still have close, loving relationships within this congregation. But we find that it's really not as easy as it once was. And it really takes an, in, an intentional effort for us to, to have close, loving relationships with, with, with many people. And so we renew our commitment to, to ministering to Christians, and we, we believe that we can minister to Christians best through our life group and our, and our small groups, because in, it's, it's in those groups that we're able to build close, personal, loving relation, relationships where we can share each other's joys, and we can share each other's sorrows, and we can celebrate together. And we can weep together because we know each other and we know what's happening in our lives. We, we have an active life group ministry. We intend to, uh, to put a focus on that and minister through our, our life group ministry. Well, how well have we done in reaching out to the world? As a congregation, we've made a uh, considerable effort to reach out to the world through a number of our, our missions efforts. We, have, we, we support uh, the work that's going on in, in Lloydminster, uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta. Steve and Gail Pollock are members of that congregation. We, have, we minister in India through Leslie and Anima 
Lawrence and through Ray and Ellen McMillan. We supported uh, Jason and, and Cheryl Moriarty in Papua New Guinea. Um, we planted Journey Church in southeast Calgary. We, as a congregation, we, we, uh, we worked through Jadon and Marilee Rod- Rogers in Donetsk, Ukraine. We worked with uh, the Zambia Mission Fund to work with the Namianga School in, in Zambia. And uh, through Velape, we ministered to, uh, to Christians in Zimbabwe. So as a congregation, we reach out to the world, and, and we've, we've done considerable effort in doing that. But in Matthew 28:16 and through 20, we read that what we commonly refer to as uh, the Great Commission. Let me just read that. Beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Or... Going, or as Cecil Bailey taught us, as you go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this is just before Christ ascended into heaven. This is about the last thing he said to his, to his disciples. I think it's very important. I believe that we as individuals have a mission from God that we, as I've just read, as we go, we are to make disciples of people. We are to baptize. We are to baptize them and we are also, even after we baptize them, we are to teach them about Jesus. Christianity is not a relationship with God through a church. It's not a relationship with God through a preacher. It's not a relationship with God through anybody. In John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is a personal relationship, a personal submission, a personal obedience to God as an individual. When Bobby came here, when Bobby Harrington came here at our 100th anniversary, he spoke and he made a statement that uh, many Christians today have stepped back from embracing our need for a savior and that we've lost the urgency of reaching out to the world because we no longer grasp the separation that mankind has from God as a result of sin. Bobby said that we do not believe that people are lost and eternally damned without the cleansing blood of Christ. And that if we believed, it would be much more in, we would be much more intentional in sharing the gospel and in sharing our Lord. And that we, we, we would be much more urgent in our reaching out to a lost world. So as a church, we've made significant progress over the last 10 years in reaching out to the world. But as individuals, and I'm speaking to me, we must do better. We fall short. 
and um, lives depend on it. And so, here's where we see the, the most pressing need to renew and recommit our mission statement. A renewed mission to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. We believe that this is our mission as a church, and equally or maybe even more importantly, that this is our mission as individuals. We commit to this renewed mission. So while we were testing everything, we looked into what other Christian churches were doing. I used to say this to my kids. James can attest to this. Only a fool has to make all of his own mistakes. Don't be stupid. Learn from others. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from their successes as well. Is that true? So as I said, as we were, as we were working, as we were looking at uh, what other Christian churches were experiencing, and we came across a church in Post Falls, Idaho, that was uh, a restoration movement church, as we are, one of the fastest growing churches in North America. And we thought, well, maybe we can learn from their experiences. So the elders and their wives and ministers and their wives and some other ministry leaders and interested people from this congregation went on a road trip. Took a road trip to Post Falls, Idaho, to see if we could learn from what they were doing. And what we learned from them was really quite refreshing. He said, if you guys are down here looking for another uh, slick program, some slick system that you can can, uh, move to Calgary and, and implement, that's not what we're about. They said, basically they said, kind of what I said, we're not stupid. Maybe not the exact words, but you get the gist. We're not stupid. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Let's look at what Jesus did. Let's pattern our ministry after what Jesus did. After all, he was God and he did have a plan. Don't you think maybe his plan was a pretty good plan? So what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus chose a small group of followers. Jesus developed close life relationships with this small group of of followers. He discipled this small group. He took common fishermen, tax collectors, and he he taught them. He loved them. He led them. He mentored them. He mentored them over time to a place where they could do the same. This group of disciples then proceeded to reproduce their faith in other disciples. As you go, make disciples. And they changed the world. And so, coupled with our renewed mission to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time, we intend to do it like Jesus did it, by making biblical disciples in relational environments. So where are we so far? Our mission. What's the purpose of our our existence as a church? Our new mission. To reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. 
when we looked at our vision? What do we believe our existence should look like? Our new vision. Our renewed vision. To make biblical disciples in relational environments. And now Bud Ashby is going to come and share uh, some of the work we've done and that we've been working through on our values. What will we not compromise in fulfilling our mission? Thanks, Jack. Okay, Jack has reviewed with us uh, our mission and vision and the renewed mission and vision. What I'm going to walk through with you now is, is our core values. So our core values, as Jack references, this is what we will not or cannot compromise on as we pursue our mission and vision. So our core values are, uh, it's what we believe. It's a common set of core beliefs and doctrine that are held and taught by the leaders of our church. And to be in a leadership position in our church, uh, everyone would be required to um, be fully aligned with these things. You, you have to believe these things in order to be uh, part of the leadership group. So it's a set of, of biblically-based and biblically-sound statements uh, outlining the fundamental beliefs with which our, our leadership can move forward uh, with unity. There's two basic reasons why we feel we, we need to document uh, these uh, the first of the two reasons is reason of identity. It's important for our members to know what our foundational teachings are. In addition to that, we want newcomers and seekers to be able to learn about uh, the Calgary Church of Christ and to know our core doctrines and beliefs. The second reason is for alignment within our leadership group. In order to, to maintain unity among our leaders, uh, it's important that our teachings and practices be consistent. Okay, the first nine items uh, that I'm going to run through quickly with you here are, they've been part of our uh, church for several years now. In fact, at, at points you've heard them referred to as our big rocks. And these are our items in our, our statement of faith that are currently listed on our website and have been part of our uh, Calgary Church of Christ material for several years. So the first one is we believe in God. We believe that God's the creator of the universe, uh, the source of life and love. A fat finger there. (laughs) Uh, Jesus Christ, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, the Son of the living God. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, who dwells in the hearts of Christians, uh, giving guidance and power and comfort uh, to each of us. We believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God, and that God has revealed himself uh, through the Bible. We believe that all have sinned, and uh, that God offers each of us salvation through his grace, uh, through faith in Jesus as our Lord. We practice baptism by immersion, and we encourage one another uh, to strive to live a life committed to Christ. We believe that there's one universal church, and that this congregation is a local expression of uh, the church, the church being all people who God has, has saved. 
we practice uh, or we observe the, the Lord's Supper weekly, and uh, we observe it as uh, a memorial of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we encourage personal growth through discipleship as each of us progresses towards being more like Jesus and developing a closer relationship with God and with one another. So those nine items as our big rocks have been part of our our church uh, for several years now. At this point, we are going to add two additional items that we really feel our leadership needs to be uh, fully aligned on. The first of those two items is financial responsibility, that that each of us, uh, as members of the congregation, have a financial responsibility, that it's a key factor in our spiritual growth individually. Uh, And there's lots of scriptural instruction around it. Uh, In fact, uh, Jesus actually taught more about uh, money and stewardship than he did about heaven and hell combined, if you read through the, the New Testament uh, there's much more teaching directed from Jesus on that. So the, the type of instruction that is there is we are to give willingly, we're to give cheerfully, we're to give generously, we're to give regularly, we're to give proportionately, and we're to give expectantly. The second item that we're adding into our, our core beliefs at this point uh, is the matter of unity. We see unity as an essential spirit uh, among us as we seek to glorify God together. We seek to demonstrate a spirit of unity within our church as we follow Christ. Unity doesn't mean that we all think alike, um, but it it does mean that we demonstrate love uh, for one another despite any differing opinions. Our church is made up of a wide range of uh, backgrounds, different backgrounds, but together we're one body or one community in Christ. We strive to be unified on on the essential matters, uh, and we allow for differing opinions on non-salvation issues. For our leaders, that means that we won't make a disputable matter uh, an issue of salvation, nor will we use our leadership position to inappropriately promote our own personal opinion on something. And for our members, It means that we won't fight and divide over non-salvation issues. For the sake of unity, we will demonstrate love and respect for those who hold a different opinion uh, than myself on uh, a disputable kind of matter. So those are the the items that that we have identified and that we would uh, put forward as our core beliefs as a congregation. Okay, we're going to move in now to goals and strategies, and Kelly will uh, provide some information around discipleship, and John Coughlin will provide some information around life groups. We've been talking for quite a while, actually, about discipleship. If you've been here very much, you hear the word disciple a lot, the whole notion of following Jesus the way that God wants us to. And so this is not new uh, in any way, really, for us. What we're talking, though, here about and focusing on is not just discipleship, but the notion of intentional discipleship. We don't think that to be a disciple of Jesus should just happen haphazardly, with no direction. 
In fact, we would say that Jesus wants us to, to uh, go up at the task of discipleship and to be disciples with some kind of intention. That's why he said, go and make disciples of all nations. He had some kind of plan for that. And so growing as a follower of Jesus, as far as we can tell, happens best when there's some kind of plan for that, some kind of program, some kind of intentionality behind uh, becoming what God wants us to be. And that's really what we're trying to do is to be intentional. We want to have a plan for educating and discipling our people. So there's a sense in which we're emphasizing now educating and discipling people better than we ever have. And the purpose for enhancing our educational and discipling process Put simply, is this, personal growth. We think that Jesus wants us to grow personally. We think we can best do that intentionally, and so we're trying to make that happen. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, Peter said, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And while we were at one time spiritual babies, pure spiritual babies, he wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay there. So we crave pure spiritual milk so that we can move on. So what do we want? Well, we hope for everyone several different things. Growing relationships with Christ. Evangelistic outreach as uh, a major focus uh, that Jack talked about. Relationship building with others. We want to see closer relationships happen within our church. We want to be able to care for those who hurt in a significant way and to minister to them uh, with the goodness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. We want Christian lifestyles to be exemplified by our, the whole church family, that everything from living morally before the Lord to doing the good things that God wants us to do. He wa we want to have biblical knowledge be something that we focus on and becomes uh, a, just so much a part of who we are, just the way Jack was describing. Others in the past have known so well their Bibles. And then we want mentoring of others to be a significant thing happening among us so that discipleship is taking place as we one-on-one -on -one disciple one another. Well, in order for discipleship to be emphasized and for it to happen as best as it could here, we, in November of 2009, put together a focus group that was focusing specifically on discipleship. And the results of our discipleship focus group were basically two things. One is... There's a need to make our personal discipleship growth steps central to our ministry as a church. We want everyone to recognize that there's a, a process and a pattern that we can follow in terms of being uh, discipled. And really all that means is going from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And we in fact adopted a series of growth steps. And they look like this. We kind of constructed this mountain climbing kind of theme. You can see along the bottom it says seeker, infant, child, young adult, parent. I know you can't read the rest of the slide today, and that's okay. There's actually going to be a handout at the end of the day. When you go out this door and, and these doors, there will be uh, young ladies and men standing out there with a, a handout that will have a bunch of material that we've covered today so that you can take that home and look at it. And you'll find this also in your packet of material. So it's just a description of the idea of moving forward, of growing together in the Lord. And we've adopted kind of this graphic to show what it looks like uh, just to be growing in the way that God wants us to. And then currently, I wanted to just tell you what's happening as far as discipleship. Number one, we're making our life groups the place in which discipleship will take place. Now, we know that discipleship happens best when it's personal, when there's just one-on-one -on -one, Christian discipling somebody uh, in an individual relationship. That's when discipleship happens best. Unfortunately, discipleship doesn't always happen. 
in that way. And so one of the things that we want to do and to emphasize is this whole notion of being able to disciple one another in relationships that are uh, planned for, that are intentional. And so our life groups is a place in which discipleship can happen in an intentional way. Secondly, we're developing classes and training to help us grow. We want everybody to be able to grow. There's lots of growth opportunities that are there for us to mature in the Lord. And and we need to be seizing those growth opportunities. And then thirdly, the classes are level appropriate as we attempt to offer something for everyone. The fact is that we're all different. Nobody looks exactly the same. Nobody grows exactly the same way or at the same rate. And so we want to be able to plan for that that difference that exists uh, between us. Well, what we're hoping for is this, that we all take advantage of growth opportunities. And so when it comes to discipleship specifically, planning for that in your life is important. And asking yourself the question, how is it that I'm going to grow in Jesus, is an important question to ask. And we're hoping that one of the things we can do is emphasize the asking of that question so that people can see the importance of discipleship, personal growth in Christ in his or her life. And we can all in that way move forward to become what God wants us all to be. Right now, John Coughlin is going to talk about life group renewal. And uh, uh, small groups were uh, a very integral part of this congregation when I arrived. They, they do provide the best environment for building uh, loving relationships. They provide an opportunity for people to grow their faith, as Kelly has just spoken of, and encourage others to do the same. However, what I remember is many people had stepped up to the plate to become small group leaders, but they struggled as they did with these questions. Well, what, what material am I going to cover? You know, I'm not sure that I know my Bible well enough to be a small group leader. I don't really feel supported in this role. And unfortunately, you may there will be some here that have experienced that. And after struggling and getting frustrated, you've gotten disheartened and quit. And Satan wins. So the elders endorse the small group setting as the best way to care for each other, to learn more about God's word, and to grow into stronger disciples for Jesus Christ. And without a doubt, this setting is the most comfortable and non-threatening way for us to invite others in, for each of us as individuals to do that. It's not our intention to replace what is working well now, but rather to offer existing groups support and training. So to begin with, you'll see we've started with a new name, Life Groups. New life for existing groups, life for new groups, with a focus on Jesus, the bread of life for all groups. We're promoting a very simple model that Jesus used, a model of storytelling, and it provides a 
please remember three things. It provides a head, a heart, and a hands approach. And when you think life groups, think of those three things, head, heart, and hands. Notice how closely this follows our uh, vision and mission. So we want to continue to follow the Bible. So in in the life group setting, the group sits with their Bibles closed, and a storyteller tells a story of Scripture. Everyone listens. Once the story is told, we're all encouraged to open our Bibles, read the passage, and now we have some fun. What did that storyteller add to this story? What did that storyteller miss? Not competitive, just fun in the interest of all of us learning. This is, this is the process of getting God's word into our head. Following this exchange, some simple questions are asked that draw group members into the story. And this is where we really get to know each other. What is Jesus trying to teach his disciples in this story? What is Jesus trying to teach you in the story? And in this story, who do you relate to? Where do you see yourself in the story? It's taking the knowledge from the head and applying it to your heart. And it's fun. We have, uh, we've all heard the story about Jesus walking on water. He has sent his disciples out in a boat in the evening to row across the Sea of Galilee. It's stormy. It's dark. They're struggling. Jesus is not in the boat with them. But suddenly he appears walking on water as a ghost. As a ghost to them. They thought he was a ghost. And they're afraid. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. It's me. And bold Peter says, If it's you, let me come to you. What does Jesus say? Come on. Come And out of the boat goes Peter, and he starts walking towards Jesus. So the question is asked of our group, where do you see yourself in this story? And here's a perspective that I'm grateful to have that I never had before. As one says, well, I'm one of the other disciples in the boat. And I'm watching Peter, and I'm saying, are you crazy, Peter? Sit down, be quiet. You want to get wet? Get back in the boat. Uh, we laughed and we uh, enjoyed more conversation around the story. It was wonderful. And as a matter of fact, today, um, the Pollock Coglin Life Group is, uh, we normally meet Friday night, but we couldn't meet last Friday. So we're, we're meeting, uh, holding our group at the church picnic this afternoon. And if, if anybody's there and they're interested in coming to share our story today with us, please come. So we have the heart. To be intentional now about reaching out. So the questions go on with the story. 
Because of what you learned this week in this story, what will you do differently? Is Jesus asking you to do something for him? This is transferred God's word from our minds to our heart to our hands, the head, heart, and hands. We need to do something with what, with the word that he's given us. Now, this uh, process of uh, life group, this everything that we've talked to you about this morning is not just simply an endeavor that uh, the elders and the staff have taken upon themselves, but other leaders within the congregation have also given their time and their resources to go to Post Falls, to uh, uh, talk to the church down there, to learn from what they what they taught us. And I'm just going to ask uh, three of them this morning to come and, and share a little bit with us. And Ron Bailey, if you could come first, and then uh, Darcy and uh, Kevin. Yeah, Chris and I and have been part of uh, going down to Post Falls and uh, part of the work that the eldership has done since then to try to work through alignment. Uh, and, uh, you know, they spent countless hours wrestling with these things. And there's so much teaching in the Bible about unity that I think it's really important that we, we uh, grasp this and follow along behind. And I just personally want to say thanks to you for wrestling through what you have and for bringing us to where we are today. One of the key things that, that I, I guess, heard as part of being down on this uh, workshop was these guys are so intentional about me, uh, getting their friends to know about Jesus that they are moving into new communities to start new relationships and to, to allow small groups or life groups to be a walking distance. That's how far they've taken this. Now, we don't need to start there. But we need to become intentional about telling our friends about Jesus. And I, for one, know that I'm not very good at that. I'm very, you know, I've surrounded myself with Christian friends. And we've had a great small group. And we love the supporting relationships that come from that. But I have not done a very effective job at bringing other friends of mine from work or whatever and helping them to learn about Jesus. And that's at the crux of the matter here us moving towards where we are inviting our friends, we're helping them learn about God, and they're, they're doing that in a loving relationship. We love our small group. It's been a very supportive for us, and it's that relationship building that we've enjoyed in our small group that is the power that will allow us to reach out. And so I just want to say thanks uh, personally to the elders and want to encourage all of us to uh, take on this challenge that they're putting before us today. Um, like Ron, I was at, uh, I was at the same course he was. Hope and I were actually at the first one as well. The first one actually goes through life groups a lot more in depth. Um, storytelling, as John mentioned, what a wonderful way to go through the Bible. I mean, the same stories that you may read a hundred times personally mean so much different when you get to discuss them with people after they've spoken them to you orally and you know that they've pretty much embedded it in their head. Um, but above that, when we were in Post Falls, and just to see 
the enthusiasm people there have, it's amazing. I mean, I really want everybody here to have that enthusiasm. You have people there, like Ron said, who go out of their way to find ways to serve and to be a part of stuff and to spread this word. They, they plant churches. We want to plant churches. Um, their eldership group works very closely to make sure everybody's aligned. That's what our eldership group wants to do. I know from coming back from the second session that these, these men and a few others have spent a lot of time in prayer and discussion and, and study so that they can get it to where what we need it to be so that we can be, you know, as close to what God wants us to be as Christians. And I'm very excited. Maybe I don't seem that way, but it's very exciting to know that all of us have the opportunity to reach out just one person. Grab one person, bring them in, and and you will feel this warmth inside you. And you know that person, if you follow this process, will go along and bring more, and you can bring more, and everybody can get to know, know God that way. Thank you. Good morning. For the last nine months, up until two weeks ago, I've been working very closely with the elders with regard to this whole topic at hand. I say uh, up until two weeks ago because I left that group uh, two weeks ago because the elders don't get all their own way, um, contrary to what you might think in this congregation, but they don't in the terms that I resigned because there was a strong request that I would do this whole presentation this morning. And um, uh, I didn't think that was quite uh, fitting, and so I said no putting them on the spot that they had to do this. And uh, I think you would agree with me. I am so absolutely proud of what I've been experiencing this morning. And I think you would join with me and thank them for... My wife and family have been a part of this congregation for 35 years, since 1975, and I don't ever remember our experience of being able to watch the elders come to the congregation, share from their hearts, share from what they're thinking about and what they're doing, and I, and I truly am very, very grateful for the work that they are engaged in and trying so hard to get across to the congregation. I can guarantee you and promise you, even on the days that I don't agree with everything that happens, I know that the men sitting behind me their heart is genuine. I absolutely know that. Now, they need something from you because one of the very sophisticated, very complex and ideological positions that I try to get across to them in the last nine months is this, that you've got to smile more. And um, they've actually been smiling some this morning, but they need you to smile at them. And so when some of them are standing up here, they're not that comfortable with what they're doing. They don't do this every day. And so you need to smile at them. So you sit there smiling and make sure you've got a great smile on if, if Bud looks serious or if, uh, if Dave Bailey looks serious. Just beam smiles back at them and reassure them with what they're saying. Let me get serious just for a moment. The night before last, I stayed with a friend in Kelowna, former business uh, colleague and associate. I don't know if Greg is here. Greg would know uh, Howie and Kathy Atfield, Howie's a realtor. He's 65. How he was a huge, huge success in real estate. During the evening, we talk about retirement and stuff like that, and he tells me how he prepared for retirement. I know he's financially capable. I know he's more than able to live a great life of retirement. Late last fall, he was on his deathbed. He became very, very sick, and he did nearly die. His kidneys shut down. So we're talking about retirement. We're talking about monies and plans and all the things he's going to be doing and stuff like this. The next morning, yesterday morning, I woke up and I'm thinking, like, where's God in all of this? 
And so over coffee yesterday for about 10 minutes, we were just, I was just wrapping things up and I left Kelowna. And I said, Howie, I've got one question to ask you. I need you to think about this. But I said, I know that you have planned. You planned for retirement. You have planned all through your business life. And he was very, very good at what he did. He studies. They're taking a trip to France. He has studied the wine, studied the cheeses, studied where they're going to go. And I said, Howie, I've got one question for you. Where do you plan to spend eternity? And his answer, I still don't know. I've told Patty, I don't know where to go with the answer. Because this smart guy and his beautiful wife said, I never give it a thought. And I said, no, no, you don't get the question. I said, let me just ask you one more time. Howie, where do you plan to spend eternity? If you died on your deathbed, where do you plan to spend the rest of your existence? And he said, Kevin, I do not give it a thought. And I left yesterday morning absolutely confounded in this yin-yang, that something that my friends and my leaders and this church holds as so valuable, so precious, this person hadn't given a thought and hasn't yet. I left it with him, and I pray that God will work on his heart. This is what it's about. All the work, all all the vision, all the mission, all the things... God has chosen to bless you and I here with a belief in him. We need to carry that message forward to the community. Thank you. Thank you very much, you guys. I love the Church of Christ. when I was sitting in a deep, dark hole in my life that I made, and I so needed forgiveness, and I so needed healing, and I needed comfort, God drew me to you people. It wasn't here. It was in Vancouver. And David Bailey's brother, Ron, is here. He was in that congregation back in 89-90 when when me and my family were there. Those are the people that, and you are the people that loved me to Jesus. I am am, absolutely excited. I'm a simple, simple man. And what is laid out here, this simple man can grasp because it is simple. I am, I'm, I'm thrilled that any, if you can tell a story and you can ask a question, you can lead a group. And all these other things, the discipleship, the uh, caring for one, they'll all, they'll all take care of themselves in that group. God will do his part. As a matter of fact, what I've learned is uh, in all situations, there are only three parts. There's my part. There is your part. 
And then there is God's part. And I am prepared to do my part. I encourage you to do your part. And we will all, I promise you, we will be blown away with what God does when he does his part. Where I run into trouble is when I try and do your part or I try and do God's part. And life shows me rather quickly when that happens. So be wary of that. Know what your part is. I need to know what my part is. And let's watch God do his part. morning, or good afternoon. (laughs) Numbers can do funny things to you. Uh, Statistics can lead you in different directions. I was just looking at two numbers, and uh, as a congregation, we're 104 years old, and we have about at this time about 300 members so if you take out the born-ins and factor out the die-outs and the the move-ins and move-outs and I take 300 and I divide it by 100 and uh, I get a net gain of about three individuals per year and that doesn't sound very good but it's not as bleak as it sounds because if we look at the history of this congregation for the first 40 years they went through the first great war followed right after that by a worldwide flu flu epidemic which was far more serious than anything we had last winter then they had about 10 good years, and then they had 10 years. Somebody wrote a book about the 10 lost years, 10 years of a worldwide depression. And right after that was another World War II, another six, seven years. And this affected not only the whole world, but it affected this congregation in the very same way. And... Uh, when the Depression was on, people moved out because they couldn't find jobs. And uh, when the war was on, people disappeared. Uh, and so it was very much uh, two steps forward in a good time, two steps backwards in the bad times. And it took us nearly 50 years before we could hire the very first full-time evangelist minister. And uh, that's a long time to do it by mutual ministry and uh, having people a part of the congregation do the preaching and everything else that's associated. Well, to me, the, the real good news about the 300 is that most of that has happened in the last 30 years, 25 years, maybe 20 years even. And God kept this congregation around through some really tough times, And he must have had a purpose for it. And I think he still has a purpose for us. And I think that purpose is that 
He has a work to do in this city. He wants to work through us to evangelize. Last week, Colin encouraged us to see the positive things, and uh, I'm convinced that what we've presented today is a very positive way for us to evangelize and to discipleship. And I, I see it as a non-threatening, uh, user-friendly way to introduce your neighbors or your friends to the gospel message. As we know it already works because that's the process Jesus, Jesus used, build a relationship and then teach. So our encouragement today to you would be to be involved. Be involved with helping us fulfill our mission and our vision. Uh, if we do our part, God will do his part, and he will bless this congregation, and he will bless the community through us. The morning's dragging on, so I'll just maybe try to say this a little more concisely as I had than I had planned. I really don't have the same history with this congregation as the Baileys do and Eileen Clark and many of the others, but but I do have uh, a long history with congregations that are part of the Church of Christ uh, Fellowship in Western Canada, and I guess uh, I, I hold that very dear to me because of what I see that relationship has done in my life and has done in many others. Uh, in fact, I've got over 50 years uh, 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 history with uh, with Churches of Christ in Western Canada and uh, in Northwest Territories. Uh, in fact. Uh, we've got history with many of your parents and your grandparents. Uh, Sue Nielsen's here. Uh, her parents and, in fact, her, grandfather, her grandparents and her great-grandfather was, was part of that little congregation in, in Manson uh, that uh, my parents became uh, uh, aware of. Uh, Ron uh, Bailey and Linda Aysen's grandparents. In fact, their, their grandmother is the one who invited my mother to, uh, to at, attend that little congregation, and the rest is history. But all this reminiscing and talking, uh, it's good, it's sort of fun, but it doesn't get the job done. Uh, like my dad would say, you can talk as long as you want, but you still have to milk the cows before you go to bed. So, uh, so there's, there's lots of things we, we have to do besides talk. Uh, this congregation uh, uh, can have a major impact uh, on youth and seekers, just like it did on, on my family. And uh, I think one of the most important factors is... Uh, how we affect the youth and how they are engaged as, as uh, 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 young people, that they are able to find Christian friends as part, in part of this congregation, a place where spiritual formation happens. Uh, James Dobson talks about eight- and nine-year-olds making critical and life-changing decisions about God. I had no idea that happened at that young an age, but... But it does. So church and church family is incredibly important. For adult Christians, it's a place to belong. It's a, a place to work out your own salvation with fear and, ter- and trembling. As Paul talked to the, the Christians in Philippians, he said it wasn't his responsibility. He said, you work out your, your, uh, uh, your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, find out how you are going to serve your God and uh, find a place where you can find encouragement to do that, and hopefully it'll be at this congregation.
The direction that we've presented this morning uh, is not significantly new. It, it develops easily out of what has been the mission and vision statement for this congregation for over 20 years. Uh, it represents a refocused emphasis on evangelism and outreach, something that, that is theoretically and, and theologically been part of the makeup and purpose of this congregation um, since it was formed over 100 years ago. And it really is, is the purpose of the church as Christ uh, laid it out um, back in, in his teachings and as the church was formed on Pentecost. We want, as leaders, we want uh, this congregation, this church, to be all that God wants it to be. Uh, we don't want to limit it uh, to what we as a group of seven elders and uh, our staff of three we want it to be all that God wants it to be, and we invite each of you to participate with us on it. Uh, we need to, to emphasize a renewed external focus on reaching out to the world while still maintaining strong internal connections and, uh, and involvement. Stronger relationships are key both internally and externally, and a revitalized uh, life group ministry will facilitate and support that, and I do encourage each of you uh, to be active participants with us. Thank you. <clears throat> so the question I have to ask myself is, do I own this new, renewed mission and vision? And why? And I, I remember sitting, in, sitting out there as, as, a, as a young Christian and as a, as a rapidly aging Christian. God calls us as his children to, to be the aroma of Christ, to serve him and to bring him, to bring glory to him, and to share our faith in him and our reliance on him with a lost and damned world. But, but we sit here and we wonder how, how we as weak and sinful people can expect anyone to want to join us. But it's not about us. It's about God and it's about their plight, the plight of the, of the lost. We wonder how we as, as weak and sinful people can reach out to people and attract them to, to, uh, to what we do and to be drawn to us. But again, it, it's not about us. So we look for the, for the perfect spin and we look for the perfect charismatic message or the perfect charismatic messenger and the perfect exciting form of, of worship to entice people to, to join us. But, but it's really not about the show. We're called to be. And yet we procrastinate and we find excuses to justify where, why we don't do. And I'm speaking to me as well as, as to you. So, that, so we, we develop our plans and, and uh, we look at our plans and we critique our plans and, and we discuss our plans, and, but we fail to look at, at God's plan. But what I see in the, in the plans that we observed through our relationship with, uh, with Real Life Ministries and the path that, that led us to, to that smacks of God's plan. It's patterned after Jesus' plan of building disciples through loving relationships and re reproducing his ministry through them. We can, we can procrastinate no longer. We, we can't make excuses anymore. And then I look and I say, if it's a, if it's a challenge for me, if it's a challenge for us as old, mature Christians to be what we're called to be and to do what, what we're called to do, how much more of a challenge is it for, 
for the young of our church and, and for, for the church in general. So it's time for us as leaders to encourage and to edify and to equip the willing, those of you who are willing, of this congregation to be. And from that, to share and to do what God's called us to do. It's time. Lives depend on it. Before I lead our last prayer of the morning, uh, I'm blessed to be able to share something that God has placed on my heart that is a passion for me as well. And I want to thank Jack for his uh, trip down memory lane because in the process of doing that, it pulled me back to a time when I was involved in a couple of things that Jack mentioned. And it, it, it enabled me to reconnect with the passion that I had there. And you know what? I want to relive the passion that I had then, doing what we're doing now. So I guess our, our renewed mission to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, one person at a time. And I guess I really like the part about where it says one person at a time because it removes a whole lot of intimidation and worry in my own life about how are we going to accomplish this huge task. one person at a time. It's really personalized this for me, and I hope it will personalize it for you as well. And I want to be part of, and I am part of, a life group And I am leading a life group. And it's building relationships. And it's becoming part of the process in people's lives to bring them closer uh, to the Lord and Savior that I know. And I'm getting to know him much better. Something that recently Darlene and I have talked about. And because what, what this all means is that wherever I am, whether it's at my workplace, whether it's in this community or whether it's in the little slice of Calgary that I call home on uh, Deer Path Court, that little cul-de-sac, half a dozen, eight or nine families, we've determined that we're going to pray for those families by name, and it started already, to the neighbors on either side of us, John and his household, Les and Judy, and the other families in there, Todd, Scott and Nadine, Bob and, and, and Phyllis and Ryan, We're going to pray for them by name, wishing God's blessing upon them and wherever we can be involved in their hearts and in their lives because we really recognize the importance of taking the direction that calls upon the transforming power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So I want to thank now all the, the, the people that have been part of my journey that have encouraged me and the common passion that we've shared over the years. Many of you are here. And I also want to thank you for all of those that are going to partner with me as we go together with a renewed vision, a renewed energy, uh, listening to God as he opens our heart and encourages us to step forward. So for all of those, I thank you. We need God and we need each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray very simply, Lord, a special blessing on the renewed vision and what comes out of the, the hearts of many who really know that, uh, that we need to be part of something that ha- is a huge, big picture 
but we each have our part in it. And we don't go unarmed. Lord, we go with the knowledge that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit guides us and encourages us, and that we are proclaiming something very special. And God's part is the biggest part, as Brother John has said. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. And, Lord, we are excited that we've come to this point in our journeys where we can begin to make have a much larger impact on an already an impact that's already there. But, Lord, you can do so much more that, with us than what we are doing. So, Lord, we thank you, and we go from this place, and we're going to sing one more song, Lord, honoring you and honoring our mission and how we work together. I bring this before you, and we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.